0: all of our guests. Welcome. My name's Jay Duncan. So glad that you are here today with us as the church in the presence of the Lord. And um, boy, I tell you, like I said earlier, every time we gather together to concentrate on who Christ is, it's special. And, and then there are just some moments, many moments, where uh, his unique presence manifests itself in a very peculiar and a powerful way. And what we want to do is we want to be sensitive to that. Uh, We're actually going through a series right now called Faithful Presence. And the idea of that series is learning how to tend or pay attention to or be aware of or be sensitive to how the presence of God is at work in our midst. And that's when we gather together as believers, and that's also when we're sent into the world to host the world and to invite the world into the presence of God. And so the point of having someone in your presence is not just to say that they were there and then keep going on and doing things your way. The point of having someone to come into your presence is then to tend to them. And so we just sensed that the Lord was uh, here today in a very uh, powerful and a very unique way. And uh, and my guess is that He was doing so many things. He was healing. He was comforting. He was removing weights of anxiety and and burdens uh, off of people's shoulders. Uh, I think he was tenderizing our hearts. In fact, there were a couple of words that came forward this morning that uh, they sensed that the Lord was really breaking up ground and even doing something on a heart level to prepare us for the word that is coming forward this morning. So uh, how many of you would say, yes, the Lord ministered to me and ministered through me in a very particular or peculiar way this morning, a- Amen. Amen to that. Thank you, Lord. So, guest, welcome. We're just so so glad you're with us. And you know, one of the things about following the Lord is it's uh, it's kind of like calling audibles, um, to use a sports analogy, or it's 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 being flexible. It's it's being spontaneous. And so, typically, we. Uh, have about five minutes or so that we mix it up and we mingle relationally at this point of our service and we're not doing that today. And and typically we receive our offering right now and, and we're not gonna do that today as well. We're gonna hold that to uh, to the end of our service. So just a quick logistical note, uh, when we come to the table, ushers, what I'd like for you to do is I'd, I'd actually like to station uh, and usher right underneath these clocks. So we have one, on the middle. And I'd like to station and usher up here in the front, uh, preferably not in the aisle so we don't bottleneck there, but uh, maybe over here to the side of the wall and maybe over here in the corner. And um, when we come to receive Christ's elements today, you can also bring your gift. And uh, in fact, that's actually... Uh, pretty traditional in, in some of the early churches that uh, we come to the table and out of the overflow of our gratitude for what Christ has done, we also bring uh, our offering to the Lord. So we're going to do that today. And um, I feel like there's something that we're supposed to get into uh, with the word of the Lord this morning. So I'm going to pray, and you can have your Bible near you and, and have it ready. And we're going to jump in. Father, thank you again. Uh, for how you are at work in our midst. Thank you for your spirit that is alive and active, dynamic, that your spirit is at work, you are moving. You're not a static God. You're not a God who just does one thing and then withdraws. You, You are a God who is constantly at work. Jesus, you said the Father is always working. And we sense that you are at work in all of us collectively and you're you at work in each of us individually. And we say yes and amen to the work of the Holy Spirit. We agree with and we partner with and we yield to and we submit to the work of your Spirit. Father, we pray that your word, your living word, your written word, and your spoken word would minister to every single one of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today, we're going to talk about the discipline of reconciliation. And if you have your Bible, I would invite you to join me. We're going to look at two particular passages that frame a theological perspective of reconciliation. And then we're going to go to a passage that's going to really drill down into some of the practical application of how we as the people of God walk reconciliation out. So let's take a look at Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 9 through 11. Romans 5, 9 through 11. If you don't have your Bible with us, you can join us on the screen. Beginning with verse 9, since we have now been justified by Christ's blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him, through Jesus, through his work? For if when we were God's enemies, when we were God's enemies, the implication is that humanity put themselves into a place of being at odds with God, being at enmity or being enemies with God because of sin. So in the first man and the first woman, and this is the context in which this is set, Romans 5 is set in the context of the first man and the first woman willfully choosing to defect, willfully choosing to trade sides or to rebel, against God and against God's perfect order and his perfect plan and his relational love in their lives, they willingly chose to walk away from that. And as a result of that, Scripture is very, very emphatic that we placed ourselves not just at odds, but we became actual enemies with God. Enemies with God. That is the state of humanity. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we talked about the fact that our God is a missional God. And so even though we willfully chose to be distant from him, we willfully chose to allow hatred to enter into our hearts against God because of who he is. Because of his missional reality, his missional heart, he doesn't allow that to change his posture towards us. He pursues us and he chases after us, and he longs for us because he loves us. And so the entire book of Romans at large, and particularly here in chapter 5, is speaking of the great lengths that God went to in order to restore or to reconcile us back into right standing and a right relationship with God. So I just wanted to emphasize here that we were enemies. God's wrath through uh, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him for if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son how much more i love the how much more is in the bible it really is a fascinating study to look through the scriptures and identify all the times that god mentions how much More so, not only, not only, this is the whole point that Paul's making here. Not only did he make things right with us relationally, not only did he save us from our sin, not only do we now get to experience the new creation of eternity with him. That's easy. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we experience fullness of life? Shall we be saved? shall we be healed, shall we be delivered, shall we experience life everlasting, a life to the fullest. That's what Paul is saying here. Verse 11, not only is this so, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Say that word with me, say reconciliation. I was not aware of The powerful nuances of this word until I began working more deeply on this message. But the word reconciliation or to reconcile has a historical and a very practical uh, aspect to it. It means very simply, one of its nuances, it means to change or exchange as in coins for others of equal value. So if I had five nickels and you had a quarter, For us to reconcile, I would give you my five nickels and you would give me your quarter. That's that's a nuance of that. Or if, and we see this when we reconcile our bank statements or we reconcile our credit cards with our bank statements, we're essentially looking for where spending is not equal with what has come in. We're we're looking to, to reconcile, we're looking to make things right from a financial standpoint. Relationally, it means to return to favor with. So if you have fallen out of favor with someone for whatever reason, could be circumstantial, It could be something that they chose. It could be a mistake that you've made. To reconcile means essentially that you have been returned to favor with that person or it means that you have invited that person back into favor with you. It means to change or to be transformed mutually. I think that's one of my favorites. It means to change. We're gonna talk about The fact that in order for us to really experience reconciliation, one with another and with Christ, it requires that change takes place. And we find here in Romans chapter 5, God does not change because he is unchanging. He is constant. He is never ending. But what we do find was that God undergoes a very powerful cost in order for us to change and be reconciled to him. Here's another definition. This is more of a modern definition. And it says very simply here, to be brought back into relational harmony and to be called back into union. So when God reconciled us to himself, he called us back into union with him. He called us back into communion He called us back into fellowship. He called us back into right relational standing. I love the verse in Ephesians 2 that says that we now have access before God. And again, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says that we can now approach the throne of grace. And what's that next word? Boldly. With confidence. That not only does he restore relational transactions and relational um, right standing with him, he says, you can enter into my presence boldly, confidently. You don't have to be sheepish. You don't have to be scared. You don't have to be insecure. You don't have to be fixated on your sin. I want you to know that I sent my son so that we could experience reconciliation. And in my definition, God speaking, that means that you can enter into my presence boldly on the basis of what my son has done for us to be reconciled one with another. There's a couple of theological implications of this. I'll be very, very quick here. What do I mean by this? I just very simply mean is that when we start from the beginning of the scriptures to the end of the scriptures, in our study of who God is, we see that the, the theme of reconciliation is all throughout the scripture. We find it first and foremost in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We find that in the Trinity, in the relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are always operating in mutual submission and harmony and unity one with another. Here's another way of saying it. It is absolutely impossible for the Trinity, the triune relationship of God within himself, it is absolutely impossible for the Trinity to be at odds with each other because they are eternally committed to walking in unity with each other. They are eternally committed to submitting to each other. They are eternally committed to loving one another and laying down their agendas one for another. That is the God that we serve. Here's another theological implication. We find it in creation, and we find this in man's relationship with God. God and in man's relationship with each other, and in man's relationship with creation. So in our creation theology, we find that when God creates man, God creates man out of relationship, for relationship, in relationship. And we find that God communes with man that God doesn't create man and walk away. He doesn't wind up the earth like a clock and, and, and just allow anything to happen. He creates man out of relationship, in relationship, for relationship. And we see that in God's initial creative work that there is relational harmony. We find that in Genesis chapter 2 when God first creates man and woman, they are created in harmony that God actually creates the woman out of the man, out of the man's very biological being. God takes a rib out of the man and creates the woman, and they're created to walk in harmony. They're not created in strife. They're not created at odds with each other. There's no jealousy. There's no strife. There's no pride. There's no selfishness. They're created in perfect and unity for one to serve the other. For there to be mutual fulfillment, mutual purpose, mutual enjoyment. We also find that there is a powerful, powerful implication on our ecclesiology, the study of the church, the understanding of what the church is to be. That God creates the church to mirror the unity of God in the earth that God creates the church to reveal to the earth and to one another the goodness and the glory of God by the unity that we walk in. We're going to expound on this here in a few weeks when we talk about what reconciliation looks like in the dotted and in the half circles. In other words, when we go out into the world, we're going to talk about the fact that as peace bearers and peacekeepers, as people that are committed to the ministry and the work of reconciliation, we're gonna talk about the fact that when the world sees that, they actually see God. This is, what John, this is what Jesus prayed. He prayed this in John 17. He says, Father, I pray that our church would be one so that when they see your church, they will believe that you sent me. I mean, this has huge salvation implications This has massive implications on our witness to the world, on our mission to the world. But we also find, from a theological perspective, we understand our anthropology. What is that? It means the study of the doctrine of man. It means to understand how sin entered into the world. And we find, as we read in Romans chapter 5, that because of man's decision to walk away, to defect, to rebel from the harmony and the unity of God, What happened? Enmity, division, strife, hatred, anger, pride. This began to color and infiltrate the heart of humanity in the way that mankind relates one to another. And the very first thing that we see, and we can go here, Genesis chapter three. It it doesn't take quite a bit of explanation for us to look around and say the world is at odds with each other. Humanity is at odds with each other. Humanity is divided racially, culturally, socioeconomically. Looking throughout, even in third world countries and seeing the the, 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 the brutal atrocities of civil war. This is a result of mankind's sin and the division that mankind carries one with another. Take a look at Genesis chapter three and uh, look right here at verse 10. Adam answered, he says, I heard that you were in the garden. I was afraid because I was a naked. So the first thing that we find that happens as a result of sin is that man is divided in his and her relationship with God. That is the first brokenness of relationship that enters into humanity. We are broken from fellowship with God. This is why Christ was sent into the world. The second thing that we see is that we're broken in our relationship one with another. Verse 11, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, the woman. And not just the woman, but the woman that you gave me. I mean, here we see, where does enmity come from? Where does self-preservation come from? Where does offense come from? Where does divided relationships come from? It comes from sin. And once that virus, once that spiritual entity of sin entered into the hard drive of humanity, it became, everybody looking out for number one, baby, it became protect yourself at all costs. It became everyone is a suspect. And we became divided, and our relationships became broken. We find in Genesis chapter 4 that Adam and Eve's first sons, Cain and Abel, experience the fruit of sin and division. And we find that Cain murders his. Brother Abel, out of jealousy and out of suspicion and out of spite and out of insecurity of his own relationship with God. And then all throughout humanity's story, we see the effects of division and hatred one with another. But thank God for his marvelous grace. One of the fundamental reasons why Jesus came sent from God was to restore us relationally to him, to reconcile us to him, but also to reconcile us one with another. So let me give a couple of thoughts here about reconciliation. And then we're gonna turn and we're gonna talk about just nuts and bolts about how to reconcile one with another. We already understand, just by way of living the human life, that we're gonna have disagreements, that we're gonna experience conflict. we're going to have confrontation. We see this in the workplace. We see this in our marriages. In fact, marriage is one of the finest laboratories to practice the discipline of reconciliation. We see this with our children. If you have multiple children, you can see that even at an early age from this is mine, no, this is mine, no, this is mine, no, this is mine, that's the effect of sin. It produces that division and we have to teach our children how to be peacekeepers and how to walk in the spirit in the discipline of reconciliation the fundamental premise of this entire series is simple it is this that we as god's people that we experience god's presence in a very unique way in the close circle of fellowship as god's people we are able to encounter and experience god's presence from that place of experiencing and encountering God's presence, we then can invite the world into what we call a dotted circle to experience reconciliation with God and with each other. Now, is it just me or are we not that well equipped on how to practice reconciliation? Is that, is that just my experience? Because pastorally over the past 20 years, almost 20 years now, being involved in vocational full-time ministry, I have seen a lot of brokenness. And I'm not even talking brokenness in the world. I'm talking about God's people filled with Jesus, scriptures at their command, soaking and basking in his presence, all of the weapons and tools at our disposal, and yet the level of brokenness that we still experience in our relationship. That's not an indictment. It's an observation that says God, God is inviting us to become people that understand the power of reconciliation and to walk it out. So let's go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18 Beginning in verse 15, we see numerous verses here that deal specifically with how we are to go about practicing the discipline of reconciliation in the close circle amongst believers. Now, these principles and these practices, they apply. I believe that these are timeless, universal principles that are designed to protect our relationships And they are designed to invite the presence of God into our relationships when they experience conflict and disagreement. So let's read the scriptures. Verse 15. If your brother or sister sins. Now some translations say if they sin against you. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. That's probably enough right there to convict us and for us just to hang out there and do an eight-week sermon series on just that line right there. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. We're going to talk more about that. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, that doesn't mean to win them over to your argument. That means to win their heart in the context, actually, Paul uses this You guys remember when Paul said to the Greek, I became as the Greek, to the Jew, I became as the Jew, so as to win them over. The context of that language is actually salvation and kingdom language. Paul's not, or Jesus isn't saying, hey, if you go to your brother and your sister and you share uh, how they have sinned against you and they listen to you and they repent, it doesn't mean you're the winner now. It means that the kingdom has won. It means the power of salvation is at work in the hearts of humanity because humanity is practicing the discipline of reconciliation. And we're probably no more like God than when we forgive and when we practice reconciliation. You understand what I just said there? We are perhaps the most like God when we forgive. And when we initiate reconciliation, verse 16, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Pay attention to the context of that language. Because if your experience in Christianity was anything like mine, we would cherry pick verses out of context, and then we would use them for however they would benefit us the most. And I would use language like this to bind devils and to loose blessings, and, and that's, that's not the context of these kingdom weapons. The context of this is in the discipline of relational reconciliation. Amen. It's relational, almost transactual and contractual language Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is that when you have offense and sin and disagreement and conflict and you run the the risk of faith to enter into relationship again, one with another, and you choose to forgive and you choose to enter into agreement for the sake of Christ-honoring relationship, he says, I'm going to release heaven's arsenal in your favor. Now, Verse 19, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Again, I would take that verse and I would find someone I could agree with. Come on, brother, I need to touch and agree. I would grab hands and we would just pray for whatever we needed to happen. And the context of this principle is set within relational reconciliation, if two of you are at odds with each other, if two of you have been offended by one another, if two, if one of you has sinned against the other and the other one comes and humbly initiates reconciliation and you do this in my name and you're asking for the kingdom of God to come and release its power to restore that relationship, to heal the brokenness, Jesus says, I will do it. And then he says in verse 20, for where two or three gather in my name, I am with them. That is not an excuse. That is not a justifiable scripture to go out and and kind of do whatever we want to do. That's not a justifiable scripture to just slap, you know, a church word on something and say, hey, what I'm doing is now the church. That's not what that verse is designed to be. That verse is set in the context of kingdom reconciliation in relationship. Now, let me just delve here for a minute or two and kind of whet your appetite for the future. But there's two times the word ecclesia is used in all of the gospels. The first time it's used two chapters before this. When Jesus says, Peter, you are the rock, and on this rock of revelation that I am the Messiah, on this rock, I'm going to build my church, Ecclesia. Now, he hasn't built his church yet because the church was birthed and born Many scholars believe, and I agree with that, on the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, Holy Spirit comes, 120 people are filled with the Holy Spirit, and on that moment, the church of Jesus was set into existence historically, and it was set into motion. This is why we don't see Ecclesia language very much in the Gospels, but we find it here, and we find Ecclesia language in the context of kingdom reconciliation of relational reconciliation i want you to think about the implications of that because the implications here if you follow the pattern is if your brother offends you go to your brother If your brother won't listen to you, bring two or three others to serve as mediators, as counselors, consultants, and as witnesses. In other words, bring a delegation of people that can help to invite the presence of God and host the uniqueness of God's presence in that conflict or in that sin or in the brokenness of that relationship to bring the kingdom of God to bear. And if they still won't listen to you, go to the church. What's the church? The implication here is go to an established people that are rooted and committed and faithful relationally, that have a sense of governing authority, that are invested into the work of God in a people and submit this issue to them and see the work of God in that issue. We'll talk more about that. Okay, let's get real practical on this. How many of you guys are with me? All right, let's go number one. What do we do? We go directly to that person. I'm gonna have to tell you right now, we're gonna go a little past noon. But hey, remember, remember when God was kissing on you and loving on you and hugging on you, you didn't mind going late then, okay? So, (laughs) all right, go directly to that person. I'll promise to be prompt. Deal with the offense personally first. So what does that mean? It means that before you ever go to someone, go to God. Deal with your offense between you and the Father. Forgive as you have received forgiveness. Matthew 7, verse 3 through 5 says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck. Let me deal with you. Let me deal with how you messed up. How can you take the speck out of your brother's eye when there is, in fact, a plank in your eye? So before you ever practice the discipline of reconciliation, number one, forgive. Forgiveness clarifies your perspective. Forgiveness keeps your heart clean. Forgiveness gets your motivation in the right place. Forgiveness allows biblical reconciliation to take place. Forgiveness moves this from me just vomiting my offense all over you. And forgiveness helps me actually to come back into union with you. The Second point here is it says go directly to that person, which means do not go around that person. Don't triangulate. Don't start bringing other people into your offense that will share your offense with you. And we've got a whole lot of Christian language that we utilize to justify this. I just, I really need you to process something with me. That's one of my favorites. Um, The classic one is, hey, can you pray with me on something? Oh, of course, what is it? I'm so glad you asked. One of the phrases that we came up with in Generation Church over 10 years ago was the phrase, talk with the person, not about the person. If we truly desire to experience the presence of God in our relationships, if we truly desire to be a witness to the world in the way that we reconcile, we will talk with the person, not about the person. Guys, when we get here in a few weeks, this has massive implications on the racial situation in our nation. This has massive implications on what the church could be and should be doing in the brokenness politically in our nation. This has massive implications. And you know where we practice? We practice here. We become masters at humbling ourselves and initiating reconciliation amongst brothers and sisters, so that when we go into environments of hostility, we've already been there before in presumably safe environments. Reconciliation amongst family members of the Church of the Living Jesus should be the safest place that we bear our heart. That we experience forgiveness, that we extend mercy, that should be natural in the church of, the Jesus, of Jesus Christ. When we practice reconciliation personally, give the benefit of the doubt, practice the assumption of goodwill. What do I mean by that? Well, typically when someone hurts you or offends you, most of the time, most of the time, they weren't being malicious. Most of the time it was a misunderstanding. Most of the time it was a misinterpretation of a neutral event. Most of the time it's something that you didn't hear the right way or maybe you jumped to conclusions as I jumped to conclusions. And here's what 1 Corinthians 13, seven means. 1 Corinthians 13, seven, the love chapter says that love always protects what does that mean it means to protect the name and it means to protect the dignity and it means to protect the character of your brother and sister in Jesus how do you protect that you protect their name by not smearing and slandering their name and assigning accusation to people's neutral events that's how you protect your brother and your sister But look at the next word. It says, it always trusts. What does that mean? It always hopes. It means after you have a conversation where you are reconciling one with another, it means that if someone says to you that this is what I meant and this is what I did and this is why I did that, it doesn't mean that you sit back after the conversation with suspicion and go, that's not really what you meant. That's not really what you... It means that you trust You say, if this is what you said, I'm going to believe it. And then you have the difficult job by the power of the Holy Spirit and by virtue of the cross of Jesus to put to death all of the accusatory suspicions that run through your head. Scripture says only God knows the heart of man. And when we get into a place where we actually start assigning value, and judgments against people's hearts, we're delving into very dangerous territory because only God knows the heart of humanity. Number three, give the other person the opportunity to share their perspective. You and I only know a part of the situation. The trouble is, is that we take our little piece of information We take our part of the whole and we assume that we understand everything that happened. We assume that we know what their heart was, what they were thinking, what they meant. I mean, good Lord, guys, half the times, I don't even know what I meant. So for you to assume that you know exactly what I meant better than I know what I meant, you are amazing. I mean, come on, haven't you been there? You're trying to find the words. You're trying to articulate what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. You're trying to share that in a way and half the times we bumble it all up. Or is that just me? Okay, so then to walk away from a conversation and go, well, this is exactly what you meant. You don't know that. Extend grace. Extend mercy. And allow someone the opportunity to reformulate or give, give, give it another shot at trying to explain what it is that they're experiencing and feeling and thinking and all the things that are wrapped under that. And, and, and for, for goodness sake, allow somebody to have a bad day. We'll, we'll, can, 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 can we not give somebody the opportunity to have a bad day at least once in the time that we know them? Well, you know, I think we need to print up some cards like a Monopoly. Monopoly has get-out-of-jail-free cards. We just need to create get-out-of-offense cards and just have a stack of them and just go, here, hey, this is free. This is free. I'm not going to get offended. Don't worry about it. This is free. You're getting out of jail. This is good. We're clean. Share lovingly and graciously. When you share, then listen and be willing to listen to someone else's perspective. And let me just frame this with this 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 thought. Reconciliation is not a one time event. Guys, there are some issues that Christy and I are still working through after 15 years of marriage. I mean, I wish I could snap a finger and change everything inside of me that I despise. I think she wishes that even more. But I am a work in process. And if I, as an individual, am a work in process, how much more every person that you invite into that equation exponentially compounds the complexity and the time through which reconciliation and union will take place. It may take multiple conversations for you guys to get into a place of reconciliation with someone and allow that to happen. So here are some very practical practices and matters where you may have offended someone else. You can ask them, you can initiate, and you can ask them, what disagreement do you have with me? Or is there any way that I have sinned against you? Or is there any way that I have hurt you? Is there any way that I have offended you? Is there any way that I have disappointed you? And you may have to use multiple words because We're we're curious creatures. We'll hear a word and go, you didn't offend me. Well, by the way, you just responded. (laughs) Do not be quick to defend. Do not be quick to excuse or justify or explain. In moments of reconciliation, what matters most is not who was right or who has the best argument or position or perspective on the matter. What matters most isn't even justifying why you did what you did. What matters most is that there is a mutual transaction of listening and hearing and receiving and coming to a place of understanding. Restate what the other person said and identify, guys, this is huge, identify with the emotion. Because what we do is when we get into these kinds of conversations, we don't focus on the feeling. What we do is we focus on the facts. And if we could identify the emotion that is driving or the feeling that is driving the language, the words that were used, the actions that were made, then we can get to the heart of the issue. If my wife comes to me and she says, You're always late. And I feel like I'm carrying all this load by myself. And I respond, I am not always late. What happened? What's the real issue? Is the real issue that I'm always late? Well, no, hey, the, the, the last time I was late was actually five months ago. I got it down right here. I was actually on time every time. The, 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 the issue is, help, I'm feeling overwhelmed. The issue is, I've, I'm, I'm carrying all of this at home, and those moments when you are late and you don't extend consideration to let me know, this is not a real issue, by the way. They're like, man, he's really pulling out the dirty stuff and just showing it. No, 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 The issue is, the issue is, I, I've got way worse ones. The. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that was the extent of it. The issue is that when I'm not considerate to let my wife know that I'm late and I do that consistently, then it exacerbates the feeling of being alone and being overwhelmed. But if we argue on facts and we refuse to dial into what the real issue is that's mostly identified with emotive language, that's going to help you heal your relationship. Affirm that... This is great. I got this from Dr. Jim. Affirm someone's passion for an issue. Affirm that. If we're going to do relationship, we're going to be in, if we're going to be the church, we are going to disagree and have different perspectives. Guys, on Everything from the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to Holy Communion, to interpretations of passages, to which songs we should or shouldn't do, to whether or not the Spirit of God is here or is not here. We're gonna disagree on a lot of stuff. And I need to have the freedom as a brother and sister in a family of Jesus to say, what you are passionate about is amazing. There are some of you in here that you wish that all we did was evangelize. That's it, that's all we did. There are some of you who wish that all we did was worship for two hours every time we got together. There were some of you, and on and on and on the list goes. Why are we not prophesying more? Why don't we pray more? And I need to have the freedom to say, your passion is amazing, and I, and I can affirm that. And I also need to have the freedom to say that although I affirm your passion for this issue, I may not see it the same way. And that was my fault. In my insecurity, in my early years, I thought that because I was passionate about something, everybody should be passionate about it. And if they weren't, they were stupid. (laughs) Or wrong. You are wrong. You're just wrong. And young marriage, just let me just help you out. That doesn't really work very well in the context of marriage. What do you mean you don't like that movie? That movie, you're stupid. <laughs> Especially on trivial issues. Affirm someone's passion for something while also maintaining that you may not see it the same way. Here's some good things to understand if someone does not feel understood, they feel dismissed. So, the biggest issue when you get into reconciliation is not that you are understood that will come. The biggest issue is that you show and you practice the hard work of trying to understand. Because the moment someone doesn't feel that they're understood, they they feel dismissed and they dismiss you. And here, we need to understand this. Until they feel understood, they're not ready to hear your point of view. And I'm just trying to just hammer. I'm just hammering. Well, here's what I really meant. You're, You're still not getting it. If you would just listen. And the point is, I need to listen. And I need to verify. And I need to validate. And I need to be quiet. And I need to humble. And I need to mutually submit. And in so doing, then there's openness. I might have been saying my point masterfully. Might not have been received because I wasn't practicing the discipline of reconciliation. People with strong personalities want to get their point of view across. Who are the strong personalities in the house? Let me see them. All right, I just need to know when I enter into conversations with you guys. Who are the strong? Brenda, lift, raise your hand, Brenda. Oh my Lord, Dan, raise your hand. Golly, you guys, seriously? We do have a message on lying. Melissa should have raised her hand. Todd and Carmen should have raised their hand. Kurt should have raised his hand. I know you guys. In matters where you can identify an offense, state it clearly. State it clearly. Women, let us know what you're really dealing with. Don't make us guess, don't use cryptic language, don't be ambiguous. If you didn't like something, please tell us you didn't like it. And for God's sake, if you don't wanna eat Chinese tonight, please tell me and I'll take you to Italian. (laughs) In matters where you can identify an offense or a sin, state it clearly. Guys, the the clearer you can state what the issue is, and if you don't know what the issue is, say, honey, I don't know what the issue is right now. And I I may need to either ask you for some time, or I may need to ask you to process verbally, and if we process verbally, guys, don't jump on the plane until it lands. (laughs) Because we want to get in there, we want to start solving everything. The plane just took off the runway for God's sake. Wait till that thing gets some little airspace and starts coming down. Then you start going, ah, this is what's going to, well, can can I offer any thoughts on this? No, no, still flying. (laughs) The captain is asking you to fasten your (laughs) seatbelt. We're experiencing some turbulence. Recognize that a breach of trust has taken place with the offense and that only specific actions over time as submitted to the Lord can heal that breach of trust. Here's some great questions, guys. When you enter into a place of disagreement, here's some great questions. I believe, I'm going to use Dan here. Dan, I believe that you have, and we can, we can tweak the language. Let's just kind of get down into concepts Dan, there's some things that have hurt my heart, and I believe that you have committed this sin or this wrong or this mistake. Um, I believe that you've committed this certain action against me. Or I, I can say, Dan, I, I think that we're disagreeing on this, and uh, there's some things that have happened in our relationship that I'd like for us to talk about. Can we talk through those? And Dan would naturally go, absolutely. Okay, here's a good question here. Um, Can we agree that this action was wrong or hurtful or premature or whatever word you want to put in there? The heart here is that you're asking someone if we can agree, if we're even seeing eye to eye on that, okay? So, you know, if Dan and I have a situation that went on, I say, you know, Dan, this is what took place, X, Y, and Z, and then I say, can you see how that would be a little hurtful? And if Dan goes, no, you grow up, okay. Well, then we, we might need to try this a couple of times again. I might need to work a little bit harder on finding some language. I could ask a question, could you see why I might disagree with you in this? Do you see why I might, do you understand why I might disagree with you on that matter? Okay. Dan, help me see what I'm not seeing. I could ask the question, Dan, what would you do if you were me? What would you have me do in this situation? Notice how all of these are questions that are inviting someone to speak into the issue. And there's there's just thousands of those kinds of questions. The heart of the matter is we're seeking to understand and we're inviting someone to speak into the issue. And we're choosing to submit to that. That's what the discipline of reconciliation is all about. Dan, based on scripture, based on things that I'm praying and I'm hearing, I wanna submit to you and I wanna submit to us that the best course of action that I see in this situation is this. Now notice what I said. I went to the scriptures not to be right, but to submit to a truth that is universal and eternal and governing. I submitted this to the Lord and then I submitted this to Dan. And I invited Dan to speak into what I felt like would be a solution to the situation. Dan, can I submit this as a course of action? And Dan may come around and say, this is really, really good. Can I submit that for your submission? That <laughs> Can I submit that we may be, and listen, we might laugh at language, but that's a very powerful word. It's a powerful word for you because when you say that, it does something inside of you and it reminds you that you are submitted first to Christ and you are submitted one to another. And that we are not going to allow this issue, this offense, this mistake, this sin, this hurt, we're not going to allow it to have any more power because when we submit to Christ and one another, it breaks the power of that issue over our lives. So that language is important. Okay, what do you do if someone comes to you and they have an offense with someone else? Guys, this is a big issue. I feel like Paul is speaking to the Corinthians right now or the Ephesians or the Thessalonians. I mean, pick pick whatever church you want to identify with. But notice Paul addressed these kind of things all the time. And this issue of relational division was an issue in every church you read every epistle that Paul wrote, and this was one of the primary issues that he spoke to. So if someone comes to you and they say, well, you know, Pastor J, blah, 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 or Josh Westby, yada, yada, or Mike Rice, or I really think, or I really feel, or I can't believe that they so-and-so, here's what you say. You ask them, well, did you go and talk with John about that? And if they say no, here's what's gonna follow a thousand excuses why they didn't. Well, you know, Johnny's just always, well, you know, Johnny's always so busy, I can't ever get a hold of him. Right? That's what people do. Or they're gonna go, well, I kinda of did, but man, Jeffrey, man, he just is so, okay? You did not go to them. What you're telling me is that you didn't go to them. First of all, you're probably telling me you didn't go to the Lord. Secondly, you're telling me you did not go to the word and that you did not go to them and practice the discipline of mutual submission and reconciliation. Encourage them then to talk with the other person one-on-one. And you're gonna get tons of stuff. And guys, listen, this is why we make so many excuses about this because it's risky and it's scary. And probably most of us in this room have had bad experiences. Either we've watched our parents argue and fight, or we've been in a situation in the boardroom, or we've been in a situation at work, or our supervisor, or our director, or, or previous marriages, or the guys, it goes on and on. But at some point, we have to say, I'm going to submit my experience to the power of Jesus and the gospel. This is what it means to be a gospel people. This is what it means to proclaim the gospel to our brokenness in our relationship. It means we're gonna try again. And maybe, just maybe, I want you to think about this. Maybe the offense and the brokenness and the confrontation and the conflict that has surfaced now is something that God wants to utilize to heal something that was unhealed then. Because as long as you're gonna be human, as long as you're gonna live before the new creation, and as long as you're gonna interact with people and you're gonna be the church, you're gonna have conflict, confrontation, and disagreement, and someone will hurt you. It will happen. And what we wanna do, what the world and the enemy and our flesh and our hurt, what it wants to do is it wants to retreat, it wants to self-protect, it wants to judge And God is saying, proclaim the gospel in the brokenness of this relationship and submit to the power of the Lord and watch him work. Guys, the stories that are in chapter four of faithful presence are ridiculous. I'm telling you, read it. It will cause faith to grow inside of you. Thirdly, if someone comes to you, if the issue has not been resolved or there has not been visible reconciliation, encourage them to pursue mediation. What is mediation? Mediation is step two that Jesus brings out. He says, if you go to your brother or your sister and they don't listen to you, what does he say? Bring a witness. There there, there is a calming presence that an objective person in the room has on the emotion of the relational fracture. I, I, I I am less likely to manifest my demons if I know that there is someone else in the room than the person that I feel like I can just go to town with. Are you guys with me on that? Invite reconciliation through the power of mediation. And then thirdly, and in closing, call on the church. If you bring someone to reconcile and they're not listening, you can call on the church. And this looks like many things in many traditions. This this could mean call on the entire church. Some churches are set up that way. Free churches, Church of the Bre- uh, Plymouth Brethren, congregational churches. They'll bring, they'll bring the whole church together. Or you can call on the elders of the church. We're gonna talk about that in the next few weeks. The elders who are selected and appointed and they represent the church because of the wisdom and the characteristics of godliness that they walk in. And we trust that God has appointed them in that place to judge Wisely. Guys, this is a new process for us. But here's what David Fitch says that I think is just so amazing. When we call for the church, here's what we are saying. We are saying that we are going to listen to the gifted ones. We're gonna listen to people that have been entrusted with authority. We're gonna listen to them proclaim the gospel over our situation. And we are going to tend to each other and we're going to tend to Christ's presence among us. And we will say, based on scripture and based on prayer and based on what we know, this is what we believe God is saying and we submit this to you. Are you seeing what we are seeing? And we will use a consensus-based decision-making process that is guided by the Holy Spirit. This is my favorite. Listen to this. We will stay committed to mutual dialogue and mutual submission. What does that mean? It means we're going to keep talking and we're going to keep our attitudes right until all parties have been satisfied that Jesus has been followed that Jesus has been submitted to as Lord and we can say collectively it seems good to us and the Holy Spirit that this is what God is doing for our relationship guys let's stand to our feet this morning do you know what the table of the Lord is the table of the Lord is an icon it is a memorial it is a sign it is a prophetic witness of reconciliation when we come to the table we are saying we are reconciled with Christ and when we come to the table we are saying we are reconciled with one another so today I'm going to be very simple and I'm going to, pl- I'm going to pray that in this church and I don't I don't know about other churches, but I know historically in the 13 years that I've been here, guys, I know that this is a root issue. I'm here to tell you, practically and spiritually, the issue of dealing with reconciliation biblically has been something that we have struggled with from the time I got here 13 years ago. And that's not an indictment on anyone. That is just to say, what are we as God's people going to do about it? I think what we do is we say we are going to wage war on it. Now, for all you warfare junkies, here's how we do it. We wage war on that spirit by following the Lamb. By coming and saying, Christ has reconciled me, and so now I will extend reconciliation. That is how you deal with that devil. He hates it when believers Talk in the presence of God to heal their relationship. He hates it. So kick them in the teeth and invite someone to a table and get your hearts right. Amen? Amen. Extend your hand here toward these elements if you would this morning. We're going to pray for the presence of the Holy Spirit to work powerfully in our midst. Father, we thank you that your spirit is here and that you are present, you are alive, you are dynamic, you are at work. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that the presence of Jesus is among us. And we ask that you would help us to tend to your presence at your table and to tend to one another. Now guys, I want you to take about 60 seconds and I want you to ask the Lord if there is anyone that you need to reconcile with and submit that to the Lord. Awesome, and so gracious this morning. I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is at work here. I'm gonna start with the bread, and if you will hold this in your hand with an open hand to signify that we receive all of life from Christ and from his life. And I'm gonna pray for the reconciliation of relationships one with another not just in this house with spouses people on your workplace, children anyone that is in the family of God or in your biological family that you are believing for reconciliation. I want to pray into that today. The goal of this discipline the discipline of reconciliation is not vindication. The goal of this discipline is restoration. It is healing and renewed fellowship. It is not about being right. It is about discerning the future as the Spirit of God works among us. It is about understanding that this place between us is sacred ground for His kingdom. It is restoration. It is healing. And even more importantly, it is the discerning of how God is at work in us. At the core of the discipline is the presence of Jesus established between two people. The charge is to become present to this other person in a way that recognizes Christ's presence here among us. And so presence, both my presence to the other person and tending to Jesus's presence among us is central to the discipline of reconciliation. Reconciliation is fundamenta- fundamentally a discipline, of faithful presence. Jesus, as we take of your body, that represents that we are the body of Christ. We are your body. As we take of this body that has been broken from one, it, it signifies that we are one. And so I pray that this nature of oneness that is already in existence, I pray God, that where our relationships do not reflect this oneness, that today something of your spirit would be released in and through and over our relationships. The spirit of reconciliation will be at work. In Christ's name, let's receive. now as we approach the cup that represents his blood there is no other thing that will cleanse us of our sins and bring us into reconciliation but the blood of Jesus and if you're here today and you are not in reconciliation with God through Christ I'm going to pray for you I'm praying for the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to comfort you to speak to you, to draw you, to reveal the goodness of the Father to you as we receive of this cup today I am praying that the spirit of reconciliation between God and man would be in its fullest work in your life and the lives of those around you. Let's receive. Would you just take the hand of someone next to you this morning as we are commissioned and sent from this place May the Lord bless you, Antioch Church. May the Lord keep you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and cause His face to shine on you. May shalom fill you and your families. May the shalom of God fill your relationships. May your relationships one with another reflect the goodness and the glory of God. May things that seemed like they were irreconcilable, I release the presence of God into those moments, those conflicts, those disagreements. Pray for the power of the Spirit of God to be at work powerfully in your relationships, that something would move and turn, even this week. Pray that as you go into the world, you go as peacemakers, extending the peace and the grace of Jesus to the world around you. For the advancement of his kingdom, for the revealing of his great name. In Jesus' name.